He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Praise the Lord. During these three days, I want to talk to you about in the footsteps of David. Now, the Bible says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And when you look at the Psalms, many of them were written by David. And he seems to have a very intimate and deep relationship with God. And every time, even when he made mistakes... He always had a way of finding his way back to God's heart. And so I'll talk to you about different aspects of his life that I believe God wants to talk to you about. Hallelujah. Amen. So this evening I'll talk about training for reigning. Hallelujah. Amen. Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. Thank you Holy Spirit. First Samuel chapter 15 Reading from verse 26 But Samuel said to Saul Jesse the Bethlehemite For I have selected a king for myself Among his sons But Samuel said How can I go? When Saul hears of it he will kill me And the Lord said Take a heifer with you And say I have come to sacrifice to the Lord And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice And I'll show you what you shall do And you shall anoint for me The one whom I designate to you Amen Amen. Verse 6 Then it came about when they entered That someone looked at Eliab and thought Surely The Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height, at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Amen. Amen. Now the first thing I want you to know, the reason why I say training for reigning, is that before God calls you for his purpose... Or because before God establishes you in what he wants you to do, he will train you. 
And most of the time, when God is training us, like David, we are not even aware of it. Because if your eyes are focused on Samuel and Saul, you will know that Saul was the one chosen to be king and Samuel was the prophet supposed to guide him. And when you look at David's life at the same time, he's a shepherd boy in some pasture somewhere. He has no kingly pedigree or heritage. He has not had any movement in his spirit that has told him what the future holds. But he just happens to have a personal relationship with God. Why do I say that? Because when he came to fight with Goliath, he gave a point of reference. He said, the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear, that same God will deliver me from this Philistine. How did he come to have such faith? Because he had walked with God personally in the wilderness where nobody knew him. How did he get the anger in him when, when Goliath was blaspheming? He said, how can this uncircumcised Philistine speak like that? It was a personal and deep walk with God. Many times the powerful moments with God are private and hidden. And many times it's not with a lot of drama and fanfare. It looks like ordinary things, like quiet time. Or like having a prayer time before God. Or having a personal Bible study. Most of the time when you are doing all these, you feel that you are doing something personal to just grow in the Lord. And it is true. But as you walk with God... For God, he's building a foundation because he has a larger picture. I think that one of my greatest assets or something I treasure is my personal relationship with God. Because sometimes you have issues that nobody can even understand you. Or even if somebody can understand you, somebody cannot do anything about it. And many times it's the times of affliction that draws you close to God. I believe that in the lonely and quiet times in the wilderness, when it was frightening, with the sounds of bears and lions, that is when David got intimate with God. God will always bring you events that will sort of bring you to a lonely place. When Jesus was in the wilderness, he was alone. When God spoke to Abraham, he was alone. When God met Moses at the burning bush, he was alone. When God met Elijah and he was so discouraged, he was alone. Many times, God works things in such a way that we become alone so that he can concentrate on us. And Saul thought that God has taken me as king. I can do whatever I want to do. God gave him an instruction that he obeyed partially. And he would not repent. So when Samuel came, Saul held his garment. And when Samuel was going, Saul pulled it and the garment got torn. But for God, it was a prophetic message. He said, I have taken the kingdom from you and I have given it to somebody who is better than you. That is what the Bible said. God said so. Even the prophet Samuel did not know about the existence of David. David himself did not know what God had in store for him. In your walk with God, many things about you and the plans he has for you and his purpose for you, you are not likely to know all of it. And God gave Samuel instruction that how long will you continue to grieve for Saul seeing that I have rejected him? And just as we don't know when God chooses his David, we also don't know when Saul reject, God rejects his Saul. God will tell Samuel that I have rejected Saul and I have chosen another but Saul was still on the throne. And many of us, we toy with sin, we toy with disobedience. God speaks to us day in and out in the church. There's no fear of God. We don't change. We have a soul spirit and we see that, oh, the pastor doesn't know. Oh, nobody knows. Oh, I look so holy. Oh, I'm even a shepherd. Oh, I'm even a leader in the church. And we go on and on thinking that God is blind. Right. May it not be that God has rejected you, but you are still sitting on the seat. And God said a significant thing. He said that, I have prepared a king for myself. 
I thought that he would say, I've prepared a king for Israel. And David would have felt that, oh, God is making me king over his inheritance. But God's master plan was more about himself than David. And many times as you walk with God, when God places his hand on you, or God singles you out, the real purpose is not about you. It's about him. I've prepared a king for myself. You see, Esther thought that the marriage was about her. Maybe her beauty... God has seen that I'm of marriageable age, so now he has provided me a king. God knows that I'm an orphan and I've suffered, so he's given me a breakthrough. This is the level many Christians are on. So as soon as Esther got into the palace, she forgot about her own people. She said, God has called me, I'm now mega. God has blessed me. But the reason for the marriage was that God's people should be brought out. And why do I say that Esther forgot? Because... She sent Hattak, her eunuch, to go and ask Mordecai that, why are you wearing sackcloth? What's wrong? After such a powerful letter has been sent against the Jews, you don't know anything about the letter. Whatever was happening in the Jewish community, she had no mind about, she had no idea about. Then Mordecai said, who knows? Who knows? If you have come to the kingdom... If you have come to the kingdom For such a time as this The reason why Vashti's misbehavior Led to her displacement Was so that the timing Will be now Because the persecution of the Jews Was yet about to come I have come to see That the things that God Does in my life Is not about me It's actually about his kingdom You see I felt that oh I'm just in love I'm marrying my husband. And I even told him, I'd like to live on a farm. He said, me too. So we will milk the cows in the morning. Go for a walk down the meadow. And he said, oh yes, we could even have a ranch with horses. I thought that was about my pleasure. But as I have walked with God, I have received the revelation that it's not about me. But it's about his purpose. Hallelujah. Amen. Mary's marriage, pregnancy, engagement, problems with Joseph, out of wedlock. It wasn't about her. It was about the salvation of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. It's high time we grew up as Christians to know that it's not about us. Even Jesus coming to this world. It wasn't about him. It was about God's will. That's why he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Sometimes I even think I'm married because of other people. Why do I say that? Because people write to me. They send me email. Oh, just seeing you encourages me to stay on in my marriage. Just seeing you shows me that it's possible. Oh, just seeing you makes me know that a woman with four children can also be used by God. I suppose all that is supposed to make me excited. But nowadays, the more I read it, I say, yay. It's not about me. It's about him. So many lives hang on you, but you don't know. So many lives depend on you, but you don't know. You think that, oh, it's me, and then I came, I'm making my plans, and then I'm moving. And, but God is looking beyond that. You are looking at a small plan. He's looking at the master plan. And when God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, he didn't tell him the name of the son he was to look for. God leads us step by step. Obedience is in series. Because maybe if you come and say, I'm looking for David. He's like, it will spoil everything. The father will say no. We won't let it happen. And all that. So you have to now do an identification parade. And Samuel had a difficulty. He said, if I go to anoint somebody else king, Saul will kill me. But if God has determined that you are the one purpose for something it doesn't matter what hole you are in God will orchestrate the plan God will make adequate preparation to reach you in that hole God said I have an idea let's have a sacrifice take an ifa, take oil and when anybody asks you you are a prophet say that I have come to do the sacrifice 
God knows how to protect his David from his soul. And God has the master plan, but we are always figuring out, I'm afraid the Ukusa will kill me. How will it be? Sleepless nights, thinking. But when God says he's going to do something, he also provides the means and the way in which it should work out. And then when Samuel comes, he sees Eliab, the first translator. Oh, he's so handsome and good looking. It must be this one. God said to him, he's, I have rejected him. That's the word God used. The others, he said, he's not the one. He's not the one. But Eliab, God said, I have rejected him. Now, David had seven other brothers. It doesn't matter your position in the queue. There may be seven ahead of you. But it's God's purpose that stands and not the purposes of even they will not even remember to call you and some of us at that point we just feel rejection I was not called I was not counted when they are calling the favorites when they are calling people they like when they are calling people who qualify they never call me but hey if God is being for you who who can be against you let the seven sons come and pass God is looking out for you hallelujah Amen. and even Samuel made a mistake when he saw Eliab he said oh the way he's handsome his stature his height you know she will be Miss Ghana qualities of man are not the qualities of God and I mean you would say God if you want David just let David come and why all this process and all this so that you will know that it is not man who chose you and so that when you become king you will not seek to please man but you will seek to please he who called you when nobody knew you and even when they asked David's father do you have any more sons they have to ask you before you remember I have news for you what God rejects often man accepts and what God accepts often man rejects the Bible says about Jesus he came unto his own and his own received him not anytime God chooses you or calls you you will face rejection many of us is at the point of rejection say why I'm also somebody what's all this and then Satan gives us another agenda and then we just swerve off the course so they asked Jesse do you have any other son oh, well he's the youngest do you know that man looks for experience and no youthfulness even by our constitution to be the, uh, the president of Ghana you should be at least 40 years old among other qualifications when you pitch David he won't, he won't come near but Samuel said send for him we will not sit down until he comes are you in the forgotten parts of the desert? Are you among bears and lions in the midst of danger and your life seems like it doesn't even matter? Do the things you go through make you feel that God has forgotten you? I have news for you. If the Lord has chosen you, he will come and look for you in the back parts of the desert until he finds you and brings you to the place that planned for you to be. It doesn't matter the obstacles and the hindrance. God is above man. And God has supernatural power. Let's read on. Training for reigning. Now the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit, verse 14 of chapter 16. And an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. You see, terrorists didn't start now. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men answered and said, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is a skillful musician a mighty man of valor a warrior one prudent in speech and a handsome man and the Lord is with him so Saul sent messages to Jesse and said send me your son David who is with the flock and Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son 
Then David came to Saul and attended him. And Saul loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David now stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. So it came about, whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand, and Saul would be refreshed and be well, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Hallelujah. Somebody's problem is your assignment. God uses people's needs to help you discover your purpose. As soon as David is anointed, the Holy Spirit comes on him mightily. The Bible says that from that day forward, he's a different person. But to the eyes of man, he's the same. And that is why his father sent him back to keep the sheep. Because although the oil had been poured on him, there was no physical manifestation yet. The things that God has said concerning you in his word, they don't look like it's about you. The things that God has said about you, they don't even smell on you when we look at you. So we send you back to the pasture. But the same God who is preparing a king for himself knows how to make a way for you in the palace. From the wilderness to the palace. Why? Because the king had a need. Many times when God is preparing you, it will seem as if everything is about others. When, When you pray for others, their prayers are answered. When you counsel others, it works. When you encourage them to give, they are blessed. It's always about others and it looks like, ah, what about me? When is my time coming? But it's the need of others that will bring you into the call that God has on your life. And it was an ordinary conversation. First of all, Saul had a problem. So you need somebody who is good at playing the harp. And the only reason why you know how to play the harp is because you've been so alone. The silence of the wilderness shouts that you have learned to play in your lonely moments unto the God that you thought you were doing something just personal. I've come to see that when God says he will do something, believers work at it too hard. When we see the prophetic word, we feel that we must do something about it for it to come. Hey, the prophet said this, oh, hey, they said this one is doing me, oh, hey, the, the one who gave the word knows how to bring it to pass. Sometimes we are too involved in self-promotion. I must be seen. I must catch the anointing. I must do this. The work, the works, the works. But the Bible says it's not by might or by power, but by my spirit. David didn't have to do anything. You've been anointed. Some of you, as soon as the oil say, hey, let me look for something to do. What shall I do? What? But timing is everything. What the Lord has said concerning you, he is able to bring to pass. So a servant just says, oh, I know a son of Jesse. He said he's a skillful player. He's a mighty man of valor. He's a warrior. He's prudent in speech. He is handsome. And above all, the Lord is with him. Most of the time we feel that it's a skills that can be seen. Like you can play the harp. You are skillful. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a warrior. All these are physical things that we can see. These are all things that God gives you and trains you in because he knows that it is those qualities that will bring you to the palace where he wants you to be. But as you are playing the harp in the wilderness and you are a mighty warrior of beasts, you don't know how it will translate into the affairs of human day-to-day living. But it is God who has the master plan. That's why he says, you know, be still. So you are not dealing with some man. You are not dealing with some small plan. Be still and know that I am God. Some of us, our greatest problem is how to be still. We don't know how to be still. We have to do something about everything all the time. And sometimes we wonder that, oh, this is going on. And look at how she sits there. Won't she do something? Sometimes it's fruitless activity. Empty, busy. But it is very difficult to be still in the midst of things happening around you. Samuel has come to anoint you. And then you go back to the wilderness with sheep. You say that, 
the prophecy doesn't match the anointing oil, the presence it doesn't match with this wilderness I must look for what God wants me to do, but you know if you just walk with God daily he will unveil to you his plan for you. Look at yourself. How much of what you are today was by your plans, orchestration, seen into the future. Okay, at this time I'll be a lighthouse pastor. And then at this time, you know, the anointing will increase. And at this time I'll move. God himself just moved you from place to place. And now, look at where you find yourself. One other quality they said about David was that he's prudent in speech. He thinks before he speaks. And he doesn't have a comment about everything. Yeah. If you are not prudent in speech, you cannot work in the palace. Because everything, as soon as you go out, hey, today Saul, eh, he was eating this and that and that, that. And then after that, he slept. I was surprised that Saul snores. Hey, and this happened, and that happened. You are not prudent in speech. That is why God allows us to develop our character before he sets us on the throne. Above all, the Lord is with him. How can somebody look at you and know that the Lord is with you? You haven't done anything. You haven't been to the palace before. You are a shepherd boy. You are always with the sheep and then you are your father's son. How come people know that the Lord is with you already? The Bible said about Jesus, about the disciples, when they looked at them, they perceived that they had been with Jesus. But in the world today, when we look at you, we don't smell Christ on you at all. We can see that you have been with drug addicts. We can see that you have been with unbelievers. We can see that you have been with some way friends. Just by the way you dress, we can see. We can see that you have not been with the word, but you have been with FM, Kasapa and Zekasapa FM. Whatever FM is for you. Because when you open your mouth, nothing good comes. People see that the Lord is with you. Is there a difference between you and the world? No. Or are you identical twins? The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. The church of God will have to change. The church of God looks too much like the world. And no wonder our message is not powerful because we are just like the world. Can people look at you and say, the Lord, the Lord is with you. Or would they say your boyfriend is with you? Elijah is also and so is with you. The Lord is with you. No, these days sometimes when I do counseling, it just breaks my heart. The way we live. Marriages in the church are being broken by people in the church. At first it's the world that will come in and break a Christian marriage. But nowadays it's Christian sisters who are doing that. My husband asked me that, are you sure we should not start sacking people from the church? Because people are just misbehaving, breaking marriages, living anyhow, all in the church. The world cannot see that the Lord is with us. I told my husband, you know, the Bible says we should rebuke them openly so that others may fear. And that is what maybe the body of Christ is not doing. Because you see, if you are a pastor, so you don't have to come and give your ideas. And say, so shall we sack them? So we we'll sack them. They misbehave at worldly reasons. What is your biblical stand for the advice that you are giving? What is the scriptural backing for what you are saying? Because God will ask you, Lord is with him. And Saul said, send me your son David, who is with the flock. (laughs) Send me your son David, who is with the flock. And then at a point, Saul sent to Jesse and said, said, let David now stand before me. There's a progression. First of all, they sent for him. And the Bible says that as David stood and became Saul's armor bearer, Saul loved him greatly. And Saul sent to Jesse, let David now stand before me. Why? For he has found favor in my sight. So it came about that whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. And Saul will be refreshed and be well. And the evil spirit will depart from him. As you walk with God, you will have different seasons with the people around you. Not all of them, but some of them. Look at Saul. The Bible says he loved David greatly. Verse 21. Saul loved David greatly. In that case, you are in your honeymoon season. 
You see, when you are in your honeymoon season, a lot of things have not come in into the marriage. First of all, you are not in your home. Honeymoon, you are in some hotel or somebody's uh, apartment somewhere. That alone should show you that you have not yet landed in reality. And when then you- when you are in that hotel in the morning, you just get up, you have a bath, you go, breakfast is served. That is not life. It's a honeymoon season. By the time you come back, your bed has been laid, your towels have been removed, newer towels have been put there. It's a honeymoon season. Just go out. Let's go and have lunch. When you come, the lunch is cooked and hot. And then you eat. It's all not real. That's why it's called honeymoon. But after you get down from the moon, you have to live on earth here with us. When the honeymoon season is over, your husband expects breakfast. And some of us are so surprised. Say, hey, brother, can't you take something from the cupboard and help yourself? A sister who just got married, she told me she got up one morning. She needed to do some work on the computer. So she just took a bottle of Coke and some biscuits. And she was just eating, surfing the net, doing her work, you know, feeling happy. She was just carried away by what she was doing, the net, whatever she wanted, the information. She was just happy. After some time, she saw her husband come and say, hey, but this morning are we not going to eat? And she was very surprised. Oh, grab a coat, take some biscuits, let's flow. And the guy said, I'm not in a cook mood. I mean, cook is not breakfast. Breakfast is breakfast. I am not in a cook mood, cook and biscuits. No, I will eat real food. Amen, the brothers. Amen. And she told me, Sister Mami, I was so surprised. So if you eat biscuits and drink, what is wrong with what? What is wrong? And I told her that, but we tell you in the marriage counseling school, that's the total wife. You have to provide, plan for this. So you tell me, but I mean, when, when it happens, if I'm very, 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 very surprised. And what even made it worse, she was so surprised that he was angry. I just said, take some biscuits and some coke. Now that thing has become a quarrel. This now, two weeks here that we married, you're angry. She said, I, I took my time and then later I went to make it. It was some way. He wouldn't talk to me. In fact, I'm very shocked. But how people can behave. I said a man's belly is very important to him. And she's always sending me texts. Whatever. She's always surprised. I said, ah, why are you surprised? She said, maybe more windows. More windows in the marriage school. More windows. More explanation. So David was in the honeymoon season. Because at this juncture, the king loved him greatly. But as you walk with God, you must be used to changing seasons. The only thing that remains constant is God himself. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. You see, sometimes when people are getting married, they borrow God's wraps. So, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You'll never leave me, but what if God calls you? What can you do about it? It is only God who can tell me that he will never leave me no, for sake. In the following chapters, we see the hatred of Saul growing. Can you handle summer and winter in your life? Can you handle the rainy season and the sunny times of your life? Then you can't handle life. The Bible tells us that so far as we are on this earth, see time and have a summer and winter, day and night, they will never cease. As you walk with God and He prepares you, you will go through many, many, many changes. Changes in relationships, changes in people's emotions towards you, changes in the way somebody feels about you. The Bible says that he had favor with Saul, so Saul greatly loved him. Then in the next few chapters, everything changes. I think that things change so that we will see the never changing character of God. God says, cursed is he who puts his trust in man. But when we read that verse, oh, cursed is who puts his trust in some men. Oh, cursed is who puts his trust in some human beings. Oh, cursed is he who puts his trust in a human being who is not saved. But it said, cursed is he who puts his trust in any man, including me. Amen. Now we are getting to the end of today's session. Now when David came to the battleground, he went back home to keep the sheep. You see, you will keep going back to familiar territory and that will make you doubtful about the things that God has said about you. 
But it is all about what God has said. So don't let the divergence. You see, that's why the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Beloved, you cannot afford to live by what you see. You cannot afford to live by the evidence around you. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. In all my years of legal practice, I cannot see how you can have evidence of things not seen. In fact, in final year, you do a subject called evidence. And they show you how to find evidence, how to get evidence, and you show it as an exhibit in court. Exhibit one, two, three, depending on whether you are the defense or it's one, two, three, whether you are the, uh, the prosecution, then it's uh, A, B, C, D, depending on which exhibit, which side you are on, you use that to number the exhibits. And evidence is something that you can prove. The law says beyond reasonable doubts. But in the kingdom of God, there's no such evidence. They said the evidence of things not seen. Some of you, when you look at your marriage, the evidence is that it's over. When you look at your husband, the evidence is that he's gone forever. The way he's behaving. When you look at your children, the evidence is that Satan has taken over. But that's the evidence of the world. But biblical evidence is the one that is not seen. And God says, the just shall live by faith. Now I just want to quickly read something from 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, you know, David comes to give his brothers food and then he hears Goliath speaking and then he asks that, what is this about? Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes that way the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him, in accord with this word saying thus it will be done for the man who kills him now Eliab his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger burned against David and he said why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle but David said what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they were then told to Saul, and he sent for him. Amen. Amen. Now the last point is that people will accuse you as a criminal or an evildoer. People will question your motive. Ah, why do you go to church like that? Is it because you want to get married? Ah, why do you do this like that? Is it because they give all sorts of explanations for what you do? First of all, Eliab's anger burned against David. Now David had been anointed in the midst of his brothers, but because there was no physical manifestation, there was also no physical respect or honor for him. We are always looking for acceptance from men. So if man says I'm called, I'm called. If man says I'm special, I'm special. If man says God has anointed me, he has anointed me. If man says I'm nice, I'm nice. But if you depend on man, you will never become what God wants you to become. I mean, why should his brother Eliab be angry about David's question that what will be given to the man who is able to kill this Philistine? Why should it make you so angry? As you get nearer to God's promises, you will face opposition. He said, I know the naughtiness of your heart. That's what King James says. Your heart. Not your behavior. But I know you so well. I even know your heart. That is naughty and wicked. Let me ask you, should a question like this merit such a reaction? Satan uses opposition and men so that we will give in and give up. Yeah. And he despised them. He said, with whom have you left those few sheep? It's true you were anointed and all that. But me, I don't see you as anything great. After all, you went back to keeping the sheep. And as you have come here, who have you left them with? But verse 30 said, then David turned away from him to another. What you hear affects you. And you must learn to turn away from that which is too negative. 
from that which discourages you, from that which puts you down. And David turned away to another man, not to a layup, because what he was hearing was not healthy. And he repeated the same words to the person he turned to. You stand to be blessed. Because when you are a candidate for a blessing, you face a lot of opposition. A wine biber. Paul, Saul who became Paul was called a murderer. Even after God has saved him. When I was going to get married, my husband was called Jim Jones. Do you know Jim Jones? A, A pastor in rich church told my parents, why are you giving a man who is like Jim Jones to your daughter to marry? And my father came to me and said, hey, Maybe we should have done more investigations. We don't really know this guy. It's you who went to the university. You say you've met him. And we thought that we had met a good guy. But just going to this man. And then he's telling us that he's Jim Jones. What have we done? Now you're already engaged. What is this that we have done? <laughs> Some of you is at this stage that you turn away from everything God has orchestrated for you. You can't stand negative tongues of men. Yeah. Then when you become king. Can you stand to be blessed? All the trials and temptations are God's way of preparing you for something greater. The Bible says if you faint in the time of adversity, your strength is small. And it is when the waves are going and the wind is blowing and then you are still studying yourself. After the next time when there's a wind, you will know how to stand. David held on to his words. David held on to his words. Bible says that those words were reported to Saul. And it is those words that led him to fight Goliath. If he had given up on the words because of the accusations of men, he would never have become what God wanted him to become. What is the word in your mouth that God has given you? What is it that you have a conviction about? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. To speak that word until the king acts on it. Hallelujah. Amen. But some of you, you receive a word. Oh, how the things are going. How people are talking about me in the church. I'm going to my Roman. Just before God would even take you to the next step of conquering your Goliath, you are going to your Roman. You are going to your, uh, if it's not Roman, then what is it? Anglican. <laughs> you cannot stand any criticism. You cannot stand any opposition. Then you cannot be a child of God. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, I love God because he doesn't tell us lies. He doesn't give us raps. As you are coming, everything will be okay. He will promise you persecution. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is it. Are you ready? This is a promise I'm making you. That surely it will happen. And when the disciples said, oh, we've left everything to follow you. He said, oh, nobody who has left me will not receive a hundredfold of lands, brothers, sisters, and persecutions. God will not hide it. I said, oh, let me hide it. It will discourage them. It will let them not follow me. It will... The truth sets us free. Hallelujah. Amen. I pray for you this evening. You will allow God to train you for reigning. I pray that when it looks like what God said concerning you, it's the opposite. You hold on to his unchanging word. For I prophesy to you that God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. What he has said, he will do it. Hold on to his promises. Walk by faith and not by sight. Speak the words that he has promised to you over and over again until the king takes action on it. Oh, and although kingship doesn't seem to smell on you, and you keep looking like the shepherd boy that God called, keep on walking. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you do not faint. God bless you. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. I want us to pray. I want us to pray. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you. He doesn't say you know the plans. He said he knows the plans that he has. Plans of prosperity and not of disaster. To give you a future and to give you a hope. We want to pray against the spirit of worry, anxiety, restlessness. Because like David, when you are in the backside of the wilderness, God is putting something in place. You want to say, teach me to trust you. It's going to take a life of trust 
for him to bring you to that throne. Ask him to teach you to trust him. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to know and trust his promise. Just to know that saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Ask for grace to trust when you can't see, when you are accused, when the opposite looks like it's happening, when you see far from what he said you would be, when it looks impossible. Every head bowed. You're here tonight. You don't know Jesus as your personal savior. You are not sure whether you go to heaven or hell when you die. You want to say, Lady Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I think I have to start all over again. 
I want Jesus to become the Lord of my life. If you are here like that tonight, you want to say, Lady Pastor, pray for me. I want to start all over with God. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to, I want to make a rededication. You are here like that tonight. Just put your hands up. God bless you. I see all those hands. The Lord is speaking to you. You know that you need prayer tonight to start all over with Jesus again. Drop your hands and I'll pray for you. I see your hands. God bless you. If you have lifted up your hands, I want you to do one more thing. I want you to take a step and come forward to me. I want to stand with you in prayer. I want Jesus to be real to you. Just come. Come to Jesus. You are not coming to any man. Forget about what people say. Turn away from what people say. And come as you are. I want to say, I want to mean business with God. I want to be serious with God. I want to start all over again. I want to give my life to Jesus. You are, like, you are here like that tonight. I want you to join us in front. And if you've come forward, I want us all to bow our heads. And I want us to say this prayer after me. And mean it in your heart. And let it be your own prayer. Lord Jesus. Tonight. I come to you. Just as I am. Please forgive me for all my sins. And cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. And make me whole. Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me and for raising him up from the dead so that I may live. Thank you. Christ has set me free. I'm free indeed. Satan, listen to me. I break every link with you and I'm going all out for Jesus. Thank you, Father. For writing my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name. Amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Hewood Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Hewood Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 243 0243- one eight seven nine zero zero. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.